Hey everyone, welcome to the Social Studies Podcast. Today, I've brought Jason Hitchcock onto the show. He's Director of Customer Success at Singular. He's a lifelong business development and SaaS guy. He's here to tell us about all the great wins he's had in the marketing and business development areas for the startups he's worked with over the course of his life. Hope you guys enjoy. Cheers. Hey, Jason, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for the delicious Macallan whiskey. Macallan whiskey, for sure. I also got us a bottle. You guys can't see it, but it's called Fidencio Mezcal. So Mezcal is like is like the dirty stepsister of tequila. It's it's like it's 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 it tastes like tequila, but actually it has the smokiness and flavor profile of, of the Macallan Twelve. You know, they say that uh, corporate communications uh, basically come in two forms. Mm-hmm. You have your public facing, like, here are the product announcements that, like, the like the market needs to know about. And then there's the other type where it's a peek behind the curtain mm-hmm. and it's like, come in and have tea with us. Exactly. And I feel like this podcast is that version. So, cheers. Cheers to that. So this is one of our first social studies podcasts. And Jason, I really appreciate you coming on and you know, make, and getting your, you know, helping us start this out because I think this is going to be really big for, for marketers all around the world. Just just so you guys, the listeners, know, Jason and I have known each other for years. Companies we've worked at have been very closely related in the past, both in LA and now San Francisco. It was really funny actually. We were I was at a food truck lounge a few weeks ago, and only then did I we just I bumped into this dude by accident. Like, oh, sorry, man. And then sure enough, it was Jason, and in his office is actually just around the corner. <coughs> From, from us here at Tint. So the last time I saw you was in Los Angeles. Yeah, two, two years prior. I guess that's right. I guess that's right. Funny world we live in with this technology, right? Mm-hmm. So j- just so everyone listening knows, you know, Jason is a director of customer success at Singular, where he you know makes sh- makes sure the business grows as much as it can. But Jason, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into business development and startups? Yeah, sure. And I think I'll tell the story. I guess you know from the perspective that I think some of your listeners can probably empathize with, whether or not they're your customers or people who are just interested in getting into marketing. I just, I remember when, when I was in college, I was someone who basically there were two things about me that I thought, you know, careers about. I thought one, I love public policy and politics um, and been following that path for a long time in terms of content. And I also really loved the internet. Um, I was one of the really early dig users who uh, basically fought my way to get up like into the top you know, 50 most influential dig users right away. I was in a cabal of users sending each other stories to vote on and stuff like that. And actually, like, I've seen some of those users go off and, like, now they've all started companies. And that sort of, all the content, though, that started in that space was all, you know, marketing related. It was 10 tips on how to do Twitter, 30 tips on how to, like, manage a YouTube page. So that's when I first got interested in growth marketing, essentially. And after college, I was deciding, do I want to go into law school like everyone in my life is telling me? Um, or do I want to try something else and figure out like another career path? I thought, I don't really actually have a good reason yet to go to law school, even though I feel like I could do it. I want to find inspiration first if I'm going to go to law school because being a lawyer, or going to law school is just too hard and expensive to just go to, to open up doors for no reason, especially with today's market. So right away, I started working at a think tank uh, doing public policy work, and I was on their new media team as well, so getting their website and pres- their sort of online presence going. This was right when Facebook had, like, it's been out for, like, two years, and businesses don't even know what it is. And so getting a, basically, a reader acquisition loop going with this think tank was really innovative for them. Uh, and so I built that out for the first time. And then 
you know, decided I didn't really, I still hadn't caught my inspiration to go to law school yet. So jumped into campaign politics after, uh, eventually becoming a, a little jaded with politics and decided, let's just keep this as a hobby. I moved out to California and started work doing business development at Olark, uh, figuring out what are partnerships for Olark. Uh, they had never had a BD person. And th by the way, Olark is a Y Combinator live chat provider. Um, and they're just a couple blocks away from here. Another funny story about that is I used to work at a company in downtown Palo Alto called Moxie. And you worked at Olark, and we only just realized a couple weeks ago that we worked down the street from each other. Oh, that's without, right. Without even realizing, like four years ago. Yeah, exactly. Ago. Uh, so after working at Olark for about a year and a half, um, I ended up uh, having the opportunity to continue exploring really what I wanted to do with my career in tech. And someone asked me to be their co-founder, which, you know, I think in hindsight, it was pretty immature of me to just say yes to that. But... You know what? I was young, and uh, my goal was to learn what I want to do. So, uh, left Olark, moved down to LA, did the co-founding thing of a startup. We went through an accelerator for a mobile survey company, and that's where I met you. Um, we shoot, you know, fast forward through the accelerator. Um, decided to leave, uh, break up with my partner. You know, like most founding stories end up happening. Learned a lot. Joined Arky, which was a mobile ad network, and ended up building out like a pretty global performance uh, ad sales and publisher sales team for the ad network, learned a ton about ad tech, and now I'm running customer success at Singular, which is an analytics company in the ad tech space, and we work with you know, some of the top grossing mobile publishers, and uh, we're helping them quantify the full sales funnel, which is a pretty cool concept right now. So there's the long and short of it. Well, that's the long of it. <laughs> the long of it. Yeah. So Jason, the, the reason why I asked you, I think it was an obvious choice. I'm really happy you came here today to, to join the Social Studies Podcast. But every time we get in a conversation, whether we're not in an office, no matter where we are, no matter what we're talking about, we end up getting in just very deep conversations about, about people, about marketing, about business development, about startups, about SaaS, about companies. And you're very passionate, just like me. We're both passionate people. And you have a lot to bring. And, and I'm really excited to bring to our listeners all the great stories and, and learnings that you have from all your great successes. I think you mentioned there's some great stuff to talk about from, from Arkey, but maybe, maybe Singular. So where are you going to start us off today, Jason? Yeah. <clears throat> so, oh, thank you for that. Um, I am passionate and stop me if I just talk at you. Uh, <laughs> it's like I'm working on that. Um, but one thing I was thinking about, uh, you know, thinking about what is Tint, what are Tint's clients like, what is, what is Tint all about? And it's really all about everything in the new media space and when it comes to marketing. Like content is changing and the user experience with content is completely different than it was. And so I wanted to think like what, what are like the main principles that really guide the effectiveness of a marketer today, um, a growth marketer? And I think that they boil down to two things. Uh, like I was saying before the podcast, it comes down to a function of the volume, frequency, or number of experiments and the quality of experiments that a marketer can do. And so one thing that I think about, you know, in all the jobs I've had, and when I look at, you know, people, companies that are really effective, I think organizations and people are effective based on the number of experiments and quality of experiments they do. So you can evaluate yourself as a marketer that way. You can evaluate your organization that way. And, you, and, you know, you should be looking for tools that help you scale the quality and the num frequency of experiments you can run. You should be looking for people that can add quality to your experiments. Uh, but that's like one way to really look at it. So we're both definitely test-driven and data-driven marketers. And I, I completely agree with your assessment. 
But running experience is very important, but also you have to be intelligent about which experiments you choose to run. What if you have a company that, what if you're in a company that actually prohibits or inhibits your ability to run experiments? What do you think about that? Oh, well, I guess you'd have to really think about like what is, I mean, you really have to think like, how am I limited? Um, you know, what are the, like, are you not given the budget that you need to do things? Um, are you limited to only addressing specific channels uh, because of, Maybe you have best practices that are just so best that they are just stone cold practices and you're not adding new stuff to them. And if you're not changing, I mean, today tech is moving so fast that if you're not change, if you're doing the same thing that you were doing six months ago and you're not embarrassed by that, the lack of change, then there's something wrong. You're not reflecting enough. Um, I mean, one thing I would say, there was a really good quote from Mark Andreessen where he said like, what's the difference between a technology company and a non-technology company? And it's that, Technology companies need to have the courage to reflect inside and reinvent themselves constantly. Like Campbell's soup was soup in a can a hundred years ago, and it's soup in a can today. Whereas, you know, what's like Salesforce? You know, even ten years ago was just a CRM, but Salesforce One just came out, and now that's like a whole new framework for enterprise protocols and accessing the core OS of phones. Like you have to constantly reinvent yourself. Well, Salesforce is changing all the time. They have several big ads out here on One Hundred and One that says uh, the world's leading customer success platform. So yeah. I, I guess mean, CRM, not, not anymore. HubSpot started as just like, they had free tools for grading your blog posts and SEO, and now HubSpot is a full stack, uh, you know, con customer acquisition uh, and retention platform uh, that handles all the channels that you need to deal with. Like, you need to constantly be evolving, and media is changing so much. Totally, totally. So along the lines of being experimented, data-driven, I, you, you have a lot of great examples in your portfolio of marketing campaigns you put together. Do you want to tell us about anything specific today? Yeah, uh, one that we were talking about before as we were getting ready for this. Um, when I was at Arky, we had a really great opportunity to work with a company called Ubisoft, which they make some AAA games out there. So can you remind us again, by the way, Arky and oh, yeah, sorry. Ubisoft relationship? So Arky is a mobile advertising network. Uh, they put They monetize games by putting ads in them, and those ads are actually for other apps because right now apps have figured out the monetization loop better than other types of content. So most of the ads on mobile are performance ads. Um, and so uh, Ubisoft was looking to acquire users. So if you look at mobile devices and you see banner ads that you never click on or you see a full screen video ad just pop into place, a company like Arky or you know SponsorPay or Yahoo there are so many companies are serving those ads into these specific apps and those ads all point to the app store where then so the funnel is users playing a game they see an ad they click on the ad because it's so great the ad takes them to the store then they go to the store they kind of have another moment of qualification like do i really want to install this app then they install it and then hopefully that user then becomes an roi positive you know high ltv user um Ubisoft was just entering mobile. They had a whole bunch of console games, and so their first approach to mobile was by going with paid games. So Rayman Fiesta just came out, which also has in-app purchases. So they had two goals, the marketing team. One was to maximize the volume of installs, the number of installs they were getting, because that's just straight revenue right there. Um, and then also maximize downstream events that were ROI that like were transaction events. So, so you're trying, so the marketing team was trying to get paid installs as well as in-app purchases. 
I mean, if you think at a high level, goals are maximize revenue. Oh, sure. Right. Yes. And then you double click on that. How do you break that down? The low hanging fruit is, well, first they got to install the game, no mm -hmm. revenue. Mm -hmm. Can we earn more revenue incrementally by having post install events? Mm -hmm. Now, you, you can't address all KPIs. No, no, no good campaign addresses every part of the funnel. Mm -hmm. um, you can't do that. Otherwise, if you do, then go raise money on that. And, <laughs> you know, you got, I, I will become a customer. Yes. Um, so... The problem that we had in this experiment was we were seeing we ran a few types of ad units with them. Uh, we ran static banners that everyone ignores, but they actually do work. Um, we ran video ads, which show diff at different lengths, you know, seven, 15, 30 second video ads, which highly, which should qualify customers by showing them exactly what the game experience is. We had incentivized ads where users could click on the ad. And they would get virtual currency if they installed the game and then did like got to like level three. So these were like different ways to address like to incentivize the customer to download the app and become a good user. All through different ways of qualifying them through showing them the content. And the results were really bad across all of those. <laughs> and like that was Arky's like bread and butter. Advertising doesn't work. And if, <laughs> what the heck? you know, and the thing is, you know, when it comes to paid apps, users are expecting free apps. And so that was like one challenge. But you know, that was constraint on the campaign, and Ubisoft knew that. But what was interesting was how that, you know, even video, which is a highly qualifying experience, it's why like TV commercials are work so well. Uh, you get to see and hear lots of things, a lot of sensory inputs. Um, they were working just as poorly as the static banners. And even the incentivized ads just did not, you know, users were not accepting virtual currency. That was not enough to increase conversion rates. But what we did find, because Arky happened to have this other technology it's investing in, a rich media platform, and that's like an area that is trying to grow. Uh, we typically didn't use this platform, which was designed for creating interactive ads for brands. It wasn't designed to be making ads for games. So in this case, we decided, you know what? Like this campaign, we have like another experiment we could run to at least affect the results. And then let's see where that goes. So we made an interactive ad that we couldn't duplicate the game experience that was too ambitious, but instead we made an interactive ad where uh, for a set for where you could essentially understand what is the brand of this game. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was like a, you know, we had trivia questions and things like that. And it just made the user stop and think for a second. And what we found is that it had similar results in terms of the number of users that the other ads were leading to installs, mm -hmm. but the downstream event, events went up. And what, so that's, more installs. So what that meant is the same number of users were installing uh, as like the video and static banners. However, the downstream events that led to other monetization did increase. See. And so to me, what that says is a, the same audience can be further qualified with interactive experiences. Um, essentially, you're not going to get more eyeballs with interactive, but you're going to get more qualified customers because they get to go through more of an experience. Mm -hmm. And like we were talking before uh, about that interesting study that I thought kind of reinforced this. Sure. Uh, one of the original game designers at Zynga I went to a talk that he gave, and he and I will send you a link to this. Um, he talks about an interesting study where they studied the brainwave activity of different people doing different types of content. They studied the brainwave activity of people who were reading books, listening to music, watching movies, a scientist doing lab science, mm -hmm. uh, a fighter pilot mid-flight, and somebody playing video games. And they found that the fighter pilot and the gamer had really high brainwave activities, and everybody else had pretty flat brainwave activity, even the scientist. And the idea was that if you are constantly thinking and making decisions and having to deal with a constant wave of salient information, 
you're going to form all these new axons and neuron connections in your brain and dopamine will fire and the reward cycle will go on hyperdrive. And so anything that happens in that experience is more important to the user. So whereas we're more trained to basically filter out the video and audio and text because we're just used to that. So, so what does that tell us about people? I mean, does that mean if you want to make a successful advertisement, you have to either give them a game or put them in an airplane? No. I think, well, I think you said the word game. And I think what you have to do is you have to make you, uh, your customers go through a series of meaningful decisions. Like that, I have heard, is one of the most abstract definitions of a game. A series of meaningful decisions. And so what is the sales funnel? Well, the sales funnel is a series of meaningful decisions that you try to walk a customer through. The top level is discovery. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna show you this thing. Now you know about it. Okay. Now you need to investigate this. Like now you know about Coke or Pepsi because, well, first, do you, you need to drink soda because you're thirsty. And you're like, yeah. You're like, okay. You should be drinking soda because it's delicious. Okay. Well, what about Coke or Pepsi? Well, you should drink Coke because it's more delicious. Okay. Like, here's a coupon. Now, do you want to drink Coke? It's right here, and then you convert. And like that's a, there's a series of meaningful decisions that get you through each one of those things. And so having your ads or any of your content require input from your users that they don't expect is a way to engage with their brain and get them to remember you more. So it seems like the best way to get someone to do what you need them to do as a marketer is to gamify them in some way. And gamification is really just a series of meaningful decisions. Uh, yeah. And to, to that point, I remember going to a talk from... I think his name is like Chris Shoe Money, or he has like the, the like a big affiliate blog. Oh yes, sure. Um, and he was talking about basically two different affiliate, like the most successful affiliate ad he'd ever done. Uh, he did an A/B test. Basically, he the Netflix referral program is famous in the affiliate world for being so great. In the early days of Netflix, nobody had it. Netflix would have a really high payout for free signups. So people were just posting the ad for Netflix on Facebook and just generating lots of free signups. Now, what he did though was he made a quiz where he just targeted like, you know, like, are you a diehard Cornhusker, which I think is like the Kansas, like University Something of Kansas, like that, yeah. yeah. And so he made quizzes that were just targeted towards every college campus in the country, and every and he just went to Wikipedia, made it a five question quiz, and then like no matter what, you were like an A plus. It didn't matter if you were <laughs> wrong in all the answers. And then as a reward, you got the Netflix. So it's like, do you want? Are, are you the number one Michigan fan? If so, you're gonna get a free Netflix thing. Yeah. Everybody went through the quiz because they wanted to be number one. They shared it with everyone to see if they were better than their friends. And like the conversion rate was insane because they were going through a series of meaningful decisions. And then they felt like, oh, as a reward, you get this this conversion. Well, thanks. I'll take the reward. So, Jason, another meaningful talk indeed. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. Cheers. Appreciate it.